All right, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, this morning. If you're using the black Bibles provided, that can be found on page 823. Matthew 18, 10. Last week as we entered Matthew chapter 18, Jesus began teaching on how citizens of the kingdom should treat one another. How we should live together in the kingdom of God. And if you'll recall, he... Jesus showed us that disciples should humbly welcome new believers. And and we do that remembering how God has graciously saved us in our time of absolute bankruptcy before him. Disciples are to show loving care to one another. And, And we need to be careful to not put a stumbling block before other believers, especially new believers, and and somehow trip them up in 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 their pursuit of Christ and their following of Christ and so that's reason for us to take sin very seriously in our lives that we would by the spirit seek to put to death pride or or any other besetting sin for the glory of God and for the good of our fellow believers and so today we come to verse 10 and as we do Jesus continues he's he's, we're still on the same theme It's going to flow right out of last week. He continues to exhort disciples to care for one another. And the way he's going to do that today is he's going to point us to the loving care of God the Father. And so let's look at our passage today. Matthew 18 verses 10 through 14. And I'd ask the congregation if you're able to please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 18 10. Jesus says... See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Now this paragraph has one main command in it. Do you see it there in verse 10? It's, it's, it's really kind of like the, the theme. It's the main command, the main exhortation that Jesus is giving See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, we saw last week that little ones refers to all believers, really, right? Because we all enter as humbly as a child. So, it refers to all believers, especially new believers, weak believers. Again, categories in which we often fall ourselves, we're often weak. So, see that you do not despise one of these little ones... This is a command, and really it's kind of like a warning. It's like Jesus is saying, be careful that you do not despise. Be on guard that you do not despise one of these little ones. It's an imperative, it's a command. It's in the present tense in Greek, which means uh, this is not just a one-time thing. This is an ongoing command. This, this kind of um, attitude should be characteristic of our lives. We need to constantly be on guard that we do not despise one of these little ones. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, despise means to look down on, to scorn, to treat with contempt, to care nothing for, to disregard. And so you can see it's the exact opposite of what he said last week in verse 6 when he said, receive these little ones, right? So receive means to welcome and serve and, and show, show loving care to them. Well, despise is the opposite. Despise means, ugh, you know, I don't, I, I, I scorn those little ones. I, I scorn other believers. I'm disregarding them. I'm ignoring them. I'm looking down on them in pride. I'm not, I'm not serving them. I'm not caring for them. So you can see it. It's an attitude of the heart. And like all <laughs> attitudes, like all things from the heart, it's going to manifest itself in our thoughts and in, in our actions. Right? So when you despise someone, it's going to become evident. You're going to be looking down on them, ignoring them, ridiculing them, not caring for them. That can happen a lot, can't it? Where we just, we just ignore the needs of, of believe, fellow believers. So Jesus commands his disciples to not treat fellow believers this way. And again, it, it applies to all believers, especially new believers that come into the fellowship. And we talked a little bit about that last week, how that might happen, right? He's saying, because remember he's been talking about humility, and he's saying, don't be proud when new believers come into your fellowship. Don't, don't think that you're better than them. Yes, uh, their doctrine's not going to be as developed as yours. They're not, they're not going to know as many truths as you probably do. Maybe they're still going to struggle with certain sins that no longer dog you. But don't be proud. Don't think you're better. Don't talk down to them. Don't ignore them. Don't fail to care for them, thus causing them to stumble, like he talked about last week, right? Don't cause them, in, because you're being rude to them, don't, don't cause them to stumble and they're following me. And so, again, it's the exact opposite of what he said last week. It's, it's kind of like last week was the put on. He's saying receive, receive them, welcome them. Now this is the put off. Don't despise them, right? Rather welcome them, care for them. And as we think about that, last week we talked about how it would harm them. But this week what he's going to point to is why should we care for them? What's another reason? Well, the answer is because God the Father cares deeply for them. And we need to care about what God cares about, right? We need to care about who God cares about. And so now Jesus is going to give three examples of God's loving care for his people, for his children. So as we consider these three examples this morning of God's loving care for his, peop- for his people, my prayer is that you'll be encouraged, remembering how much God loves you, how, how much God cares for you, how faithful he's been to you, and then also uh, I pray that, that we'll also be uh, equipped and, and, and uh, warned to be sure to, to care for other believers, right? I pray it will motivate and empower us to love and care for our fellow believers and doing it all, remember last week, in Jesus' name, for the glory of Christ. So the first example of God's loving care for his people is he commits angels to minister to them. He commits angels to minister to them. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, Why? For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Kind of a 
odd verse, right? And, and people have concluded from this verse, sometimes people will look at this and say, oh, see, everyone has a guardian angel, right? <laughs> um, but really, there's not much else from the Bible that would support necessarily that idea of a guardian angel for every person. Now, Hebrews 1.14 does refer to ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And that's kind of like what this verse is saying, that uh, neither Hebrews 1.14 nor verse 10 prove that each individual believer has a specific guardian angel. But what they do tell us is that God has angels whose job is to minister to believers as a whole. Isn't that interesting? When they're divvying up the responsibilities of angels, there's a group of angels that he's saying, all right, guys, your job is to minister to my people. God has angels whose job is to minister specifically to believers. And and what Jesus is saying is, he's pointing to the Father's care. He says, God so watches over his little ones that he has a special group of angels dedicated to that task. And Jesus says these angels enjoy the highest of privileges. They have access to the presence of the Father at all times in order to best care for believers. And again, that, I know that's kind of hard for us to grasp the angelic world, right? And, the, and you know, their, their jobs and their, their, their ranks and all that. But you see what he's saying? God so cares for his children that he's got angels who have all the resources. They get, they get front row seats into the presence of God so that they can do their job well in caring for believers and so you can see the point. If God goes to that such great lengths to care for his little ones, it shows how precious they are to him. It shows how committed he is to them. And so we better not harm them. We better not despise them. There's no place for that. So that's the first reason. And now as we continue, we see not only does God commit angels to minister to believers... But secondly, we see in verse 12 that he searches for them when they stray. He searches for them when they stray. Now, first you'll notice that the ESV doesn't have verse 11, right? (laughs) You can read it down in the footnotes, but this is another one of those cases where the the internal evidence, the flow, plus the external manuscript evidence shows that verse 11 shouldn't be in there. It it shows up in some later manuscripts, but the best manuscripts know it shouldn't be there. So very likely what happened was, um, it wasn't part of what Matthew originally recorded. Rather, later a scribe who's who's transcribing this says, oh man, we're getting into talking about the subject of sheep, so I'm just going (laughs) to zealously include this or something. Or maybe they, you know. So anyway, verse 12. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And that's a question in the Greek, but in the Greek we know that he expects a positive answer. Yes, he's going to do that. And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Now, this parable sounds familiar to some of you, doesn't it? We see the same parable in Luke 15, 
And there, if you recall, the context was uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling because Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. And so in response to that, Jesus tells them three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. And he's doing that to, to teach them God's heart for the lost and explain why he's doing his ministry the way he is. Why he's intentionally spending time with sinners. Sinners like tax collectors and, and such. But here in Matthew 18, Jesus tells the parable in a different context. Here he's showing the value God places on believers who go astray. So there, it's the same teaching but told two different occasions and for two different purposes. Luke 15 is kind of more evangelistic, right? Talking about bringing in sinners of, in repentance to, to believe. Matthew 18 is talking about God seeking and caring for believers who go astray. And this just reminds us, you know, about Jesus' ministry. He was an itinerant preacher and so... Uh, you know, he, he could teach the same thing on different occasions and with different purposes, different emphasis. But now let's look at the parable. A man has a hundred sheep, but one of them goes missing. And we know that sheep are prone to do this, right? They're prone to go astray. Sheep are not too bright. They get easily distracted. They wander off. And as you think about that, tell me, a sheep who does that, a sheep that wanders off, is it in danger? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, a sheep that wanders off is in grave danger because sheep are weak, sheep are vulnerable. On its own, a sheep is going to get lost, it's going to fall into a pit, it's going to get hurt, it's going to get tangled up, it's, it's going to fall prey to predators. Sheep need the protection and provision of their shepherd. So, that's the situation, a sheep has gone astray. The this, this shepherd has a hundred sheep, one of them has gone astray, what's he going to do? What's he going to do when he discovers that the one sheep has gone astray? Is he going to just say, well, hey, you know, it, it happens. You know, we kind of have a, a, what do you call it, kind of a, a, a waste margin, margin here, you know. Uh, 99 out of 100 is not bad, right, you know. No, he's not going to do that. Why? Because he loves his sheep. It says he will leave the 99, and that means in care of another, right? Uh, he's going to leave the 99 and go after the lost sheep because he loves each one of his sheep, and he knows that that lost sheep needs him. And so the shepherd's going to go searching for his lost sheep, looking everywhere, calling its name, diligently seeking. And verse 13, if he finds the lost sheep, the shepherd rejoices more over this lost sheep that was found than over the 99 who never went astray. And again, this is just showing us, emphasizing that the shepherd loves all his sheep. And he is especially concerned when one of them goes astray. So, another question for you, just to see if you're following. In this story, who does the shepherd represent? God. God, right? Clearly, Jesus is comparing God to the shepherd. And you know what? The disciples, they would have got that point. They would, that, that would have registered right away with them. They would have made that connection because several times in the Old Testament, God is described as a shepherd of his people. There's a, there's a real famous passage, right, in the Old Testament. 
Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 95 that we began our service with. He is our God and we are the sheep of his pasture. As we heard in our scripture reading in Ezekiel 34. God is a faithful shepherd who goes searching for his lost and scattered sheep. And there's other examples. But it's a a clear theme in, in the Old Testament. And later here in Matthew 18. We're going to see that the way God often does this, the way he often goes after his lost sheep, believers who have strayed, is he uses the church. He uses the church as a means of gathering in strange sheep. But again, what Jesus is showing here, God so loves his people that he will go searching for them when one has gone astray. God so loves his people that he rejoices when the lost one is found. And restored to the safety of fellowship. And you see how this all supports that initial command, doesn't it? In verse 10. To not despise the young and weak believers. To not despise any believers. Since God so loves and cares for all his sheep. Since God goes to such great lengths to restore a sheep that is lost. Then we as believers must show that same kind of love and care to our fellow sheep. (laughs) To our fellow believers. After all, we've we've all been that lost sheep, haven't we? Right? Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So initially, when when God first saved us, we were all like that lost sheep. Running from God... Seeking to live out, our, live for ourselves, seeking to pursue our own pleasures. We all, by nature, wandered from our Creator, living for ourselves rather than for His glory. But God didn't leave us there. God, in His grace, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue sinners, to bring in those who are lost. Jesus, the good shepherd, John 10 says, laid down his life for his sheep by dying on the cross in their place, paying the penalty for their sins. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead in victory, securing salvation for all who believe in his name. And so that was the the provision for salvation. And then God continued to search and seek and save Though we were far from God, separated by our sin, God in his sovereign grace sought us. He intersected our lives with the gospel, with that good news of what Jesus has done. And he opened our eyes and gave us faith to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. He drew us to himself. He delivered us from the pit. The psalmist says, right? Out of the miry pit. Out of, out of the enslavement of our sin. And having sought us and saved us and adopting us as one of his own, God now faithfully cares for each of us as our loving shepherd. And so now as we seek to follow Christ, we know that we live in a fallen world and there are many dangers. There's many toils and snares, right? 
Many things that can trap us or trip us up. And we still have remaining sin, which makes us prone to wander away from the safety of the fellowship with God and other believers. And again, that's another way that we can relate to this lost sheep. We know what it's like, even as a Christian, to be led away by our sinful desires, to foolishly stray from the loving fellowship of the Father and to resist the loving care of the body. Many of us know what that's like to one degree or another. And again, many of us then can testify that God doesn't leave us there. He's a faithful shepherd. He's a loving father. By his spirit, with his word, through his people, God seeks us. He convicts us. He draws us back to the place where we belong. In his loving arms and in the body of Christ. That's what God does. And so there may be some here today, some listening to this, watching this, who have strayed from God. And when you find yourself in that situation, one of the lies that Satan wants to tell you is that, oh, you can't go back to God now. You're going to find him angry with you. You're going to find him keeping you at arm's length. But that's not true, is it? This passage shows that. God is a loving father. And you think to the parable of the lost son, God's going to actually run to you. As you draw near to God, he draws near to you. He's going to run to you. He's going to sweep you up in his loving arms. He's going to rejoice at your return. And so if there's any who are away from the father, come home. Come home to the father. It's not safe to stay away. It's not safe to be away from the Father and away from the flock. No matter what you've done, God will forgive your sins. Christ's death is sufficient to pay for your sins. And so turn from your sins and by faith embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. And again, I'm thinking there may be some who are listening who are not part of a, of a fellowship. They're not part of a church. You've trusted in Christ, but maybe you've given up on the church. And I urge you to, to not stay there. To get involved in a solid church that teaches the Bible and seeks to care for each other. God did not design the Christian life to be a solo affair. This is a reminder of it, this passage. We're saved to be part of a flock, to be part of a body, to be part of a family. And by trying to go it alone, you're, you're missing out on the blessings and the growth that comes from being with other believers and you're shortchanging other believers whom you could be serving and encouraging. And again, you're in a place of, of danger. So come home. Come to the Father. Come to his people. So we've seen God's loving care for his people in the fact that, number one, he commits angels to minister to them. Number two, he searches for them when they stray. And then thirdly and finally, in verse 14, he preserves them to the end. What a beautiful statement verse 14 is. So it is not the will of my Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus says the Father is not willing to lose even one of his sheep God's sovereign will guarantees the security of all those who are truly his sheep. Do you hear that? 
God's sovereign will guarantees the security of all those who are truly his sheep. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. United in the preservation and care of their people. Jesus said in John 6, 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. God keeps us. He preserves us. He makes sure that we are preserved on the last day. Isn't that encouraging? Because if it's left to us, man, that that would be pretty scary, wouldn't it? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God does that. He, He seals it. He binds us. He's a good shepherd and a loving father. So be encouraged, Christian. God has sought you. He has saved you, he's rejoiced over you, and he's going to lead you all the way to glory. He's going to guide you, he's going to protect you, he's a good shepherd, he's a loving father. He's going to provide for you. We get discouraged, we get distracted, we get tangled, we, we, we get stubborn and rebellious. But God is always there with his grace, working through his word, through his people, through his spirit, to to bring us back, to tend to us, to carry us when we're weak, to correct us when we're astray, to seek us. There's so many good verses on, Roman, on, uh, on, on God's uh, preservation of his people. I'll just give you one here. Romans 8, 29. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see that process there? If he's called you, he's already justified you. You've already been declared righteous in Christ. And along with that, you've been adopted into his family. You've been given the spirit as that down payment, as that guarantee of future payment to come. And so one day you will be glorified. Like Jesus said, I will raise them up on the last day. God is going to see this process through to the end. We will persevere by his preserving grace, right? It's all God's grace. We're saved by God's grace alone. We came to faith by God's grace, and we continue in the faith by God's grace. And so let us faithfully seek others. We'll talk more about that in the verses to come. But be encouraged that God's going to preserve you. I'll close with a line from John Newton's great hymn. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Praise God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we praise you for being a, such a loving Father, such a gracious Savior. Lord, we think back in our own lives, our own testimonies of where we were when you, when you sought us. Lord, we were entangled in all kinds of sin. Maybe it was self-righteousness. Maybe it was just complete unbelief. 
it doesn't matter what it was. Your grace sought us and drew us to you. And we praise you for the finished work of Christ. That when you, when you bring us, you don't bring us in as a slave. You don't bring us in as a second-rate citizen or, or, or second-rate son. No, you, you clothe us with your robe. You put your ring on us. We're made co-heirs with Christ. We're your dearly loved children. And we praise you for how faithful you are, Lord. We, we, we grieve when we think, even as Christians, how prone to wander we are, how, how we take for granted your, your grace and fellowship, how we too often try to dabble in the things of this world and we get ensnared in them. And yes, you discipline us, you let us suffer some consequences for that to teach us, but it's all in your grace. And you don't leave us there, but you come and and pull us out. And we praise you and thank you for that. Thank you for your long suffering with us. May you encourage the hearts of the saints today. And Father, please use your word to draw in those who are still lost today. Draw them in, show them their sin, and show them Christ as their Savior. And let us be your hands and feet, Lord, to care for one another, to minister to those who who are straying. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and continue to sing praises to our God.